0: Hello and welcome to The Planet Today. It is Friday, February 17th, 2023. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nick, what is going on right before this three-day weekend?
1: Oh, Matty, everything's going pretty well. Um, yeah, stoked for the three-day weekend. And I got that mid-February blues right now. You know, it's just kind of kind of no man's land you know it is starting to get a little bit lighter out mm-hmm. as we're getting closer to spring but yeah still kind of still kind of wintry still very cold so not not too stoked i guess
0: yeah and uh unfortunately i don't think the first half of today's show is going to do you any favors to get you out of that mid-february slump um just as a heads up to the listeners if you didn't hear about any of the stories that have been going on the last week or two Uh, First half of the show is going to be really difficult. Second half of the show is exclusively good news, so stay tuned for that. Um, This show is actually so busy that we don't even have time to cover David Malpass stepping down from the World Bank. So that'll be on next week's show, um, and let's get right into it.
1: for our quick hits for the week. And the first one is by Professor Ibrahim Ozdemir, a United Nations advisor. And he writes, climate change is triggering more earthquakes. Big oil's interests are a factor for Euronews.
0: So we briefly touched on this last week, but truly devastating news out of Turkey and Syria. As of Tuesday, the death toll had surpassed 41,000 people with nearly 36,000 of those coming from Turkey. Over the course of nine hours, there was a 7.8 and a 7.5 magnitude earthquake. Each one of those struck southeastern Turkey and northern Syria on February 6th.
1: According to geologist Tony Nemer, the fault line that broke in Turkey is nearly 200 miles long, but only part of the fault line was broken in the recent earthquake, which means that another earthquake could hit the eastern part of the fault line within the next few years here.
0: Yeah, this is an ongoing story. And there are plenty of foundations that are already established to help disaster victims or some that have specifically been set up to help those in need in Turkey and Syria. If you are financially able, we encourage you to donate and every small amount adds up. So don't act like $5 isn't contributing and making a difference. You know, whatever you have, it helps. We are going to focus on the environmental side of this now, but obviously our thoughts are with the people of Turkey and Syria and with the rescue teams who are still working to save people as we record right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely agreed. The article linked in your show notes starts off by saying that we don't know for sure what caused these earthquakes, but there's growing scientific evidence that climate change increases the risks of earthquakes, tsunamis, and volcanic eruptions. NASA scientists have also acknowledged that glaciers retreating due to climate change have been causing earthquakes in Alaska in the past few decades.
0: This article says that as melting glaciers change the distribution of weight across Earth's crust, the resulting adjustment means that the tectonic plates could move more and experience more earthquakes. Climate and weather related disasters occurred five times more frequently over the past 50 years, with 91% of the over two million casualties happening in developing
1: countries. The article then says that fossil fuel giants have been calling the shots in global politics, while ordinary people face the impacts that we're seeing here. And like Matt said, the effects are mostly occurring in developing countries.
0: And the unfortunate side of this, aside from the damages and the loss of life and the loss of livelihood, is that those same countries who are feeling the largest impact are often not the same countries that are feeling the economic impacts of big oils development. So this article goes on to ask, is there any accountability for big oils invasive ways? The short answer is either not really or not yet, depending on how you look at it. Um, I am optimistic that maybe in the future there will be more accountability. But as of right now, there really isn't enough. Yeah. It also brings up another important question, which is, what matters more? What is more important, the interests of a few or our planet and its people? You know where we stand, but we have a lot to cover in our next story. Um, It really doesn't do us any good in speculating about this when people's lives were so heavily impacted in the past two weeks. Um, I would encourage everyone to check out this article for more if you're interested in how climate change is impacting earthquakes and you know, again, if you're able to help out at all, even a dollar goes a long way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely check the show notes for more information on that. So let's move right into our next story. And it is titled, A Horrific Environmental Disaster is Happening in, in Ohio. And you may not have even heard about it yet. By Fast Companies, Clint Rainey. Last week,
0: there was a train derailment near East Palestine, Ohio, a village of about 5,000 people. One of America's leading rail operators, Norfolk Southern, had a train derail near Pennsylvania's border. It created a 50-car pileup, and one-fifth of the cars were carrying hazardous materials.
1: By Sunday evening, all residents nearby were told to immediately evacuate, with a warning from Governor Mike DeWine stating, There is now the potential of catastrophic tanker failure, which could cause an explosion with the potential of deadly shrapnel traveling up to a mile.
0: 14 giant tankers full of hundreds of thousands of gallons of vinyl chloride were exposed to fire. If you haven't heard of that chemical, I had not heard of that chemical for the record. Um, It is found in PVC. It's toxic. It's flammable and a known brain, lung, blood and liver carcinogen. If you breathe it in, it can make you dizzy, sleepy. It can cause headaches, could even cause death if you breathe too much of it.
1: Authorities decided to do a controlled burn of the chemical, which required evacuating more of East Palestine, since it was going to send massive plumes of hydrochloric acid and toxic gas into the sky. Residents said that even indoors, you could smell it and taste it. The crash site was also leaching other hazardous materials that the EPA says seeped into surrounding waterways. Those materials are immediately toxic to fish, but the EPA says that everyone's drinking
0: water was protected. The EPA announced that the air in East Palestine was safe enough for residents to return on Thursday, February 9th, and a series of containment measures have been put in place to limit the environmental impact of site runoff. That being said, the EPA also confirmed that vinyl chloride has entered the Ohio River Basin, where 25 million people live and 5 million people are getting their drinking water from.
1: Drinking water will continue to be monitored for the safety of residents, some of whom have reported unverified claims of livestock dying. Governor DeWine added that it is very understandable that residents would want their homes tested before re-entering. And the state says that Norfolk Southern must pay for the cleanup costs.
0: This is just so, so devastating. And and for people who haven't seen pictures or videos, whatever you're imagining for this prescribed burn, like when when I read it on paper... I was thinking it would look similar to a forest prescribed burn where it's just contained flames. You know, it's it's scary because it's chemicals, but it's not a big mm-hmm. deal. This is not the case for this instance here. And, and the yeah. pictures look like this giant gray mushroom cloud. And it's huge. Like whatever you are expecting, it is larger. And it's especially scary that, you know, people are saying they can taste it. They could smell it in their air. These are people that you know at, at no fault of their own just had their homes upended and some of them can't return and and you yeah. know frankly just because the EPA is saying that it's safe to return and it's the, you know the water is safe is it cuz it sure looks like something where we're not going to feel the immediate fallout right away we're not going to see that okay like yeah this this looks like it was contained but the water got into the the river basin this is something that's going to develop over the coming months, the coming years. And, And frankly, I wouldn't want to return. Yeah. But how do you, how do you not right? Like if that's your home, how do you just pack up?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is terrifying. You know, if you're someone who's living in the Ohio area, or if you're someone who's living in East Palestine specifically, how could you not consider, you know, your family first and say we're staying in a hotel in, you know, You know, Illinois for the next, you know, two weeks or something like that. I don't care if they say that it's like good to go. People like literally were having their eyes burning and like their throats were burning. Yeah. This is a very serious situation. I can't imagine that people are going to be going back to that town anytime soon.
0: Yeah. and, And the thing that's the most frustrating and here's where we kind of pull back the curtain. A lot of times on this show, we break down the news that's very surface level and the things where, look, if you're reading the sources I'm reading, you will understand this. If you're reading the sources that Nick's reading, you'll understand this. Mm -hmm. Here's where we want to dive into what got us to that point. The prescribed burn sounds scary and it sounds like that might have been a mistake. It wasn't. the, The first responders followed proper protocols. This was done correctly. This Is entirely the fault of Norfolk Southern. And for that reason, they are the the company that needs to be paying for lodging and paying for testing and paying for remediation efforts that are going to be happening because of their mistake. And, And I'm hesitant to even use the word mistake because this is the same company that has spent millions of dollars lobbying, or sorry, millions of dollars on lobbyists, on politicians mm-hmm. as recent as 2021 and 2022 yeah. there were staff cuts there were people working longer hours with longer trains less safety protocols you know they they cut corners everywhere along the way and this is what happens when you ignore safety protocols this is what happens when you overwork your staff and you stop paying to have an abundance of staff And then you pay for politicians and lobbyists to basically let you look the other way.
1: Yeah, this is a situation you can't feel bad for the the company that this happened to. You know, there's there's no, you know, sadness I feel for them whatsoever. They have to be responsible. They have to step up and put their money where their mouth is and, you know, do something to actually help Ohio because they need it right now.
0: Yeah, and this is going to create acid rain impacts. This is going to... You know, and acid rain, like I just kind of glossed over that, but acid rain is going to be a huge impact because like we said, the Ohio river basin is drinking water for 5 million people. Yeah. So as that acid rain, that is a result of this train derailing continues to leach into the basin, more and more people are going to get impacted. And this is something that Norfolk Southern needs to say, hand up. This was 100% our fault and we will bear the brunt of these costs to help the people of East Palestine. And to their credit, so far they've donated over a million dollars. But it's going towards air purifiers, cleaning and air monitoring services, a charitable fund to support the community and new packs for the fire department to replenish what was lost. Yeah. I'm getting this from a Twitter account called Gen Z for Change. Their sources are, are available online. Um, notice how, how nothing in there mentioned environmental remediation. Mm. That's my concern. So people first, we need, to, we need to help the people that were impacted by this. Make it safe for them to return to their homes so they can help them until they can't. Yeah. And make sure that their natural environment around them is also safe. Because as of right now, I don't care what any agency is saying. It's it's not.
1: Yeah. And last thing I want to bring up, you just kind of reminded me is, you know, you're you're not going to want to take your family back to East Palestine, obviously. Okay, so now you're staying in a hotel. Okay, how am I going to feed my family? Well, now we have to eat out. So, you know, now you're paying more money where you just you just got uprooted from your house. And it's just unnecessary costs that just keep building and building and building. And for someone who's living paycheck to paycheck, it's not something that they should have to go through and they should be compensated accordingly.
0: Yeah. And Nick, before we, before we move into this next part, I just looked up Norfolk Southern's recorded annual revenue, $12.75 billion per year. They can afford to help out a community of 5,000
1: people. What are those Exxon numbers? My God, dude, my goodness. That's ridiculous. But anyway, on Monday, three additional chemicals were discovered on the train. One of the chemicals, acrylate, is especially concerning because it's a known carcinogen that can cause burning and irritation in the skin and eyes if touched, which is what I just said before. Uh, it can also irritate the nose and throat, causing shortness of breath. So another thing.
0: Silcaggiano, a hazardous material specialist, said quote we basically nuked a town with chemicals so we could get a railroad open and that should tell you pretty much everything you need to know about why this scenario is so bad like we alluded to earlier the true impact of this probably won't be understood for years but the environmental fallout for this could be potentially massive Um, i I really don't want to downplay this this is a genuine environmental disaster
1: yeah absolutely
0: all right we are going to take a quick break when we get back, we, ha- we do have some good news on the show for you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V A L A A L T aco and code TPT.
1: Welcome back to the planet today, folks. And next up, a Danish wind turbine giant just discovered how to recycle all blades by Electrex Michelle Lewis. All right. This is good news and wonderful news (laughs)
0: out of Denmark. Great news out of the break. Wind turbine maker Vestas announced they have figured out how to recycle all wind turbine blades, which includes those that have already been decommissioned and are now in landfills. The company said that it has discovered a system where the turbine blades are circular, meaning that there is no need to change the design or composition of blade material.
1: Vestas Vice President and Head of Sustainability, Lisa Ekstrand, said that moving forward, this approach can treat old epoxy-based blades as a source of raw material. She added, once this new technology is implemented at scale, legacy blade material currently sitting in landfill, as well as blade material in active wind farms, can be disassembled and then reused.
0: The article says that turbine blades have been challenging to recycle due to the chemical properties of the epoxy resin that's used on them. It's a resilient substance that was believed to be impossible to break down into reusable components. So this news right here solves one of the wind industry's greatest challenges. Wind Europe expects roughly 25,000 tons of blades to reach the end of their operational life by 2025, with 52,000 tons by 2030. Being able to recycle all of those blades would be a huge huge boost to the wind industry and just a major development in general.
1: Yeah, this is absolutely massive. And I'm thinking about like, you know, solar, how it can be expensive and how like, you know, in 15, 20 years will solar have the same, you know, it's a lot of parts that make it up, that make up a solar array. Yeah. Yeah. This is great that we're seeing that wind is a recyclable source of um, energy. We can source these blades um break them down and then build them back up into brand new ones. That's great news. That's huge and it's a it's a revolutionary thing for for uh, wind energy.
0: Yeah, and, and Nick and I are big fans of renewables on this show. You know, that's not to say that they're perfect because they aren't. And in this case, one of the the main issues with wind is that what do you do with it afterwards? <laughs> if you've ever seen a wind turbine in person or if you've ever seen the blades for the wind turbines being transported on highways, they are Gigantic. Yes. So, with all of those just sitting in landfills, you know, that's a lot of material gone to waste. So, the the sooner we can get to all renewable energy being 100% recyclable, and that might be a 100 years away, but the sooner we can get there, the better. And this seems to be an unbelievable step forward in getting to fully, I, I guess, you know, clean energy is the word that's used a lot, but. I would say, genuine clean energy where it's not just no carbon, it's no waste.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a def, definitely an important distinction. Agreed. All right, let's get into our next story here by Jack Ewing of the New York Times, who writes, electric vehicles could match gasoline cars on price this year. This
0: is really great news. And I'll be honest, I was hoping we would be able to talk about this on the show at some point. I did not expect to be doing it in 2023. <laughs> Yeah. Let alone February of 2023. (laughs) Yep. More competition, government incentives, and falling prices for the materials used to make battery-powered cars are all contributing to drive down their overall cost way sooner than expected. The price of an electric vehicle versus a gas-powered car is already comparable for some luxury vehicles, but mass-market car models could see similar prices this year. The article states that prices are likely to continue trending lower as Tesla, General Motors, Ford Motor, and their battery suppliers ramp up new factories, reaping the cost savings that come from mass production. When even more companies like Volkswagen, Nissan, and Hyundai enter the mix, the pricing is going to be even more competitive.
1: Yeah, for sure. An example Ewing gives for how prices will be lower than gas cars is the Chevy Equinox. The electric version will start roughly $3,400 higher than the gas version. But with government incentives, the electric Equinox should be cheaper. Electric vehicles also require less maintenance, and the electricity to power the car is cheaper than gasoline. So for reference, at the
0: end of 2022, the average price of an electric vehicle was 61488 dollars compared with $49,507 for all passenger cars and trucks. Um, those values are according to Kelly Blue Book. Part of the price cut for consumers can be attributed to the tax credits provided in the Inflation Reduction Act, which offers up to $7,500 for EV buyers. To qualify for those incentives, electric sedans need to cost less than $55,000 and SUVs need to cost less than $80,000. So car companies have begun to increase the number of models that will be eligible for those incentives.
1: The IRA also incentivizes making batteries in the United States, which can reduce the price of making an electric vehicle by up to $9,000. Without these incentives, electric vehicles would likely still be more expensive than gas cars until between 2026 to 2029. Materials like lithium and cobalt have also decreased in price, which further reduces the cost of electric vehicles.
0: So, excluding lithium and cobalt because we don't have the numbers for how much they've decreased, let's just look at those incentives. If it costs $9,000 less to make a battery, you're looking at, you know, roughly $5,300 for an EV. With those incentives being $7,500, we'll say it brings you down to $45,500 on average. So that includes all of the higher-end cars and the lower-end cars. That is about $4,000 cheaper than passenger cars and trucks that are powered by gas. So, you know, it's it's really good news, and that's before we even try to quantify lithium and cobalt decreasing in price. Once we have all those other manufacturers that we talked about bringing in more competition,
1: EVs could get cheap, man. <laughs> yeah, this is like... Like you said at the beginning, shocking. Like we are here in, in February of 2023 and we're talking about like equality in prices for gas and electric. That's something that we just did not foresee, I don't think at all. Yeah. Um, which is exciting because it's like, wow, we could, we could ramp this up even more, you know? And it, I know it is because of the um, Inflation Reduction Act that's allowing it to get that low because of the credits and all that stuff. But still, this has got to be, uh, you know, invigorating news, electrifying, <laughs> How about that, news uh, for people who are uh, interested in, in helping the environment and, and doing that by getting an electric car.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, we talked about the incentives reason why it's cheaper. But another reason is just that EV prices are coming down because automakers are getting better at making them. Mm. The range you can go is further. The weight of the cars is lower. The costs are improving as more cars are being made. Like just to put it very bluntly, the cars are getting better. Yeah. And it's also great that so many private companies, nonprofits, and government agencies are now working to build more charging stations for these EVs as they're increasing in popularity. EV sales were up 66% last year. So this is a really exciting time to be a fan of, you know, clean tech of which I would consider electric vehicles, a cleaner version of a car. So.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And if you think about it, like we're going to have to really start ramping up these, these charging stations. Cause like, I'm just thinking about like, you know, you go to the mall and it's like, okay, there's like, you know, there's like eight to 10 spots depending on where Mm -hmm. you park for like EVs and stuff. They're going to have to ramp it up. I mean, if it's, if it's like equal in price, we're talking about like half the parking lot's going to be electric cars. So,
0: Yeah, man. Speaking of malls, I'm just envisioning like this utopian society where I don't have to go to the mall, but like when people go to the mall, there's electric chargers all over the (laughs) the parking lot has a solar canopy covering it. So everybody's cars are nice. And in the shade, we're generating solar on top of the parking lot. You know, maybe there's some panels on the roof. And we're just like a fully carbon-free mall.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we're just going to get to the point where like malls are going to just not exist because we're going to get everything delivered to our houses. Electric. And there's going to be no need to go anywhere. If food's going to be delivered to you. Everything's just going to be delivered to you because we're going to be lazy. This is the plot of Wally. <laughs> <laughs> or Fahrenheit 451. I don't know which one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into our last quick hit of the week. And it is from Reuters, where Gabriel Arajo writes... Deforestation in Brazil's Amazon falls in first month under our boy Lula. Wonderful news to close out today's show. Satellite
0: imagery shows deforestation in January was down 61% compared to January of last year. In mid-January, Brazilian environmental agencies launched their first anti-logging raids under Lula, which contributed to deforestation being below the historical average for January since 2016.
1: World Wildlife Fund Brazil conservation specialist Daniel Silva reminded us that it is too early to talk about a trend or reversal, but this is still positive news. Last Thursday, the U.S. was reportedly considering its first contribution to a fund aimed to fight Amazon deforestation, so hopefully this news is encouraging for the U.S. and other world leaders to support anti-deforestation efforts. So far, that fund has been supported mainly by Norway and Germany, but had been frozen since 2019 due to former President Jair Bolsonaro's handling of the Amazon.
0: Yeah, you know, it's one thing to say that you're going to protect the Amazon. It's another to do it. And I'm hopeful that the funds that have been frozen for four years now are going to start to see a lot more contributions because... You know, deforestation of the Amazon is a global problem. Mm-hmm. It's something that is so critical to the well-being of our planet that to protect it, you know, I, I think it, it does warrant having global cooperation. It, it shouldn't just be the responsibility of your Brazil, your Colombia, your Peru to fight deforestation at home. When if if they can't pull it off and they don't have the support, then it's going to impact way more than just those countries and way more than just South America. Yeah. And now that we have, you know, the first month on record where deforestation is down, hopefully that's something that continues. And you could use that as a source to say, look, we're doing this. If all of the world leaders can contribute to a fund to help us, we'll be able to do it better.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed.
0: So the article also points out that Brazil is fighting wildcat mining on Yanomami land in the Amazon, which is the nation's largest indigenous reservation. This has been blamed primarily on illegal gold miners. Experts and staff at Brazilian environmental agency Obama warned that it could take years for Lula to deliver on his conservation goals after Jair Bolsonaro cut funding and cut staff at key agencies. It might be too early right now to say that this is an encouraging trend, but I will say that one month into the year, Lula's off to a great start and one that I hope will continue.
1: Yeah, I mean this is this is great news. And I mean, I don't want to convert everything or or compare everything back to the US, but that's just as an American, I'm just naturally <laughs> No, it's easy. You know, it's it's what you're familiar with. Yeah, exactly. So like our situation with going from he who shall not be named into (laughs) Joe Biden. We were in that same kind of boat where like what Brazil's going through right now, where they were with Bolsonaro. He's cutting all the funding towards key conservation efforts, key, you know, deforestation efforts, wildlife um, conservation efforts, all that stuff. And now we're having to basically build it all back up. I do think he'll be able to do it. I do think he has the time in order to do it. And hopefully he does.
0: Yeah. And and I think that increased funding from the United Nations, you know, increased funding from even just the G7 that helps create more time. You know, if, if we're saying like he's, let's say that this becomes a trend and we look at this in six months and say, it's been down all six months. That's great. They're proving they can do it. Imagine if they had more staff, imagine if they could pay people to help out in other ways. Like a global fund would be huge here. And uh yeah, you know i I'm hopeful that that fund that Norway and Germany have been primarily supporting gets a lot more contributions to it from the rest of the g seven
1: yeah, agreed, and quick shout out to our boy, I love you, Lula. such a sick name, such shout a sick out name.
0: Lula. Anytime you're like you're just known by one name, you're doing something uh, I, never mind, never mind. I was gonna yeah. say you're just known right, but there's a lot of people <laughs> that are known by one name um anywho that'll do it for today's episode of the planet today we're gonna be back on monday on president's day so if you don't have work you don't have your commute maybe check this out on tuesday but we'll be back on monday with our february interview it's with our recurring guest james lightner of mission clean water james one of my really good friends from college if you haven't checked out our first interview uh that will be linked in the show notes on monday's show but really cool interview until then Go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. If you're listening on Friday, you know that yesterday I made a post, so go like that. Follow me on Twitter at Matt Norton as well for more of my... Uh, I, I've been doing a lot of retweeting environmental news lately to try to engage more. So come come check me out there. Nick continues to produce our show and makes all of our music. Nick, where can
1: people hear more of your stuff? You can hear more of my stuff at soundcloud.com slash And that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Hey,
0: it's a long weekend. It's a great Budland Cape weekend. <laughs> Our logo is made by Kaylee Vitz. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday.
1: Peace.